I don't believe I played for a super team. I don't believe in that. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and as always, you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RedRockBasketball. We are here to discuss another of the season in review shows. We've got four left after this one. And today's show, we're going to be talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. So let's get to it, to it. Obviously, the Cavs had a successful but unsuccessful season, got themselves back to the NBA Finals where they were beaten by the Warriors 4-1, which we all know finished a couple of days ago. And while, um, yeah, it's, I guess it's a disappointment not to, uh, not to go back to back, but getting back to the Finals is always a big accomplishment. So Cavs fans should have a level of disappointment and also a level of, uh, a level of pride, I guess, in being able to get back there and the fact that you took on, you know, what is the greatest team of all time. And uh, and yeah, challenge them in, in three of the five games. I think that's uh, that's something that Cavs fans can hang their hat on. So many talks about things that are going to change for this team or have to change. And you know, it appears if you read every single internet rumor that's going around that Kevin Love's out of here. I'm not sure I 100% buy that. We hear this all the time, this sort of shit. I reckon we've heard Kevin Love trade rumors for the last two years at least. Oh, they've got to move him. They're going to move, remember that they're going to move him for Carmelo Anthony. Remember that crap? We hear it all the time. I don't know whether it will happen. In general, when you hear these things, you uh, you lean towards no, with the exception of the uh, Woj tweet that came a few hours ago saying that uh, the Celtics are going to be trading pick one to the Philadelphia 76ers in exchange for other picks, which we'll talk about when we do uh, the next show, which is the Boston Celtics season in review. Now, I'm not sure exactly when I'm going to record that. I might record that later today, or I might record it tomorrow, and by then a trade could have actually gone down. But I will discuss the uh, parameters or more information on that trade when we hear it. But it was definitely something uh, a little bit thrilling to wake up to today to see these Woj tweets of... uh, of potentially Markel Fultz heading to the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, back to the talk on Kevin Love. We hear this talk about him getting moved all the time. So I'm not putting a huge amount of stock in it just at this point, but it is something that, of course, you know, could happen. Anything can happen. In the draft, the Cavs currently have no picks. That doesn't preclude them from buying a second rounder. They did it last year with Kay Felder. They could always do it again. Whether that's going to help them or not, the answer to that's probably going to be no. But it's always not a bad idea to try and buy one of those picks and see if uh, you can get something out of it, a rotational player, anyone who can help you at some point during the season, even if it's just to rest some of your guys occasionally to get some uh, some get some get um, useful contributions from uh, from players. I'm hearing that the sound is messed up on the Facebook video. It should be fixed now. Thank you for letting me know, Ron. It should, be, uh, it should all be fixed up now. Um, apologies, apologies for that error. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's head into talking about their free agents now. And we'll start with, uh, we'll start with, well, they've got a few, uh, a couple of the guys that they acquired mid-season to push them towards that championship, Kyle Corver and Darren Williams, both older players who are free agents now. You wouldn't say that either of those guys were all that helpful to them in the finals. Kyle Corver's Kyle decline had started in Atlanta. That's why I was quite hesitant on him heading across to Cleveland, especially from a fantasy point of view, when people were, oh, I could not believe the excitement that people had. Man, he's a must-own. You've got to grab Kyle Corver. And I was just like, nah, how about no? 
Oh, I just don't see it. People were also saying it about Darren Williams. Now he's going to play like twenty-five a night next to Kyrie. He, he should be. He should be owned. Like no, these things aren't going to happen. They didn't happen. The other free agency issues they have, they're not really big concerns. Derek Williams, Dante Jones, and James Jones uh, are all free agents. They contribute very, very little, while Eddie Tavares and Kay Felder both have non-guaranteed deals for next year. You would assume that Felder gets picked up on that non-guaranteed deal. Tavares, I do like as a rim protector. I think they might bring him back just as an extra big body. He only played, I think, one game for Cleveland during the season, so... um, yeah, I, I, there was not a lot to see, and he's he's been a he's been a weird player, Tavares. We'll talk about him a, a little bit later, but um, yeah, I think I think they might bring him back. But those other guys like Dante Jones, he he's an April special. He comes in at April and then plays through the playoffs if they need to throw an elbow at someone. James Jones could very well retire, and Derek Williams he had some moments, but he's far from a high priority. I would have thought uh, to bring back onto this team. Let's talk about how they looked during the season. Well, of course, they had one of the best offenses of all time. The third third in offensive rating, but that sort of undersells how good they were offensively, and we saw that through the playoffs. Defense was always a concern, and it remained a concern throughout the playoffs. They were 21st in defensive rating, 15th in pace, second in effective field goal percentage, and they were 29th in terms of uh, being able to force turnover. So that's something they do need to work on. That helps with their, you know, it explains some of their poor defensive rating too. They were second in three-point percentage and third in giving up free throws. The second in three-point percentage is interesting because you always hear the talk of, you know, three-point shooting teams can't win championships and people don't seem to classify the Cavs as that. So no matter who won the championship, a three-point shooting team was winning the was winning the title. So Charles Barkley, it didn't matter which way that it went. The Cavs are a three-point shooting team. That is what they are. They are a jump shooting team. They are a three-point shooting team. The best offensive rating on this team surprisingly goes to Tristan Thompson. Kyle Korver next, James Jones, and then LeBron, whereas the best defensive rating, the first four out of the first five guys were such minimal parts of this team. Eddie Tavares, one game. Larry Sanders, Chris Anderson aren't even on the team anymore. Then we had Kevin Love. Yes, Kevin Love, the only player who's a regular contributor there. DeAndre Liggins, not on the team anymore. LeBron, Channing Fry, and Tristan Thompson. They had nine guys that were on their team during the season shoot over 40% on corner threes. Kyle Korver, James Jones, J.R. Smith, Liggins, Felder, Geordie McRae, Mike Dunleavy, Kevin Love, and Channing Fry, with obviously a few of those no longer on the team. LeBron was a remarkable 78% at the rim, while Richard Jefferson, Dick Jeff, at 77% at the rim was a surprising number for a guy of his advancing age. Kyle Korver also was at 71% of the rim. So you don't think of him as being a, a an accomplished finisher. The problem is, is only 2% of his shots occurred at the rim, so he wasn't able to take advantage of that. And it's obviously a very small sample size. LeBron on his mid-range jumpers could have been better, below 45% in all of the distance categories that they split it up to on basketball reference. You know, that's not fantastic, but we know how good LeBron is, so it's hard to, hard to knock him too much. PR LeBron led the team at 27. Kyle Korver led true shooting at 68, while usage was Irving at 30.8 and LeBron coming in just behind him at 30. So two guys with a usage rate of over 30% is a, is a big number. LeBron win shares, LeBron win shares per 48, LeBron offensive box score plus minus, LeBron defensive box score plus minus if we exclude Eddie Tavares' one game where he had a defensive box score plus minus of 10.1. LeBron led the team in box score plus minus and shockingly, LeBron led the team in VORP. So yes, lots of LeBron. And I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. We know how good LeBron is. Lineups. They had five lineups that went for over 100 minutes this season. Their most used lineup 
Kyrie, LeBron, Love, JR, and Tristan Thompson played 452 minutes together, and that was a plus 6.2. But their best five-man lineup that saw over 100 minutes was surprising to me. It was that same lineup, but take JR out and put DeAndre Liggins in, and that was a plus 32.1. And that was the starting lineup that they went for during that time frame when uh, when JR was out with that thumb issue. And Liggins was terrible from a statistical or fantasy point of view, but the lineups were obviously killing it. Their most used four-man lineup, Irving James, Love, and Thompson was a plus 9.6, while their best four-man was Irving James, Liggins, and Love again at a plus 31.5. Their most used three-man, Irving James and Tristan Thompson, 8.6. Their best three-man, it's LeBron and a couple of bench guys. LeBron, Dick Jeff, and Iman Shumpert was a plus 12.5, while their most used two-man lineup, unsurprisingly with Kyrie and LeBron, was also their best two-man lineup, and that was a plus 10.2. Let's now move on and talk about these players in more detail. I talked about the Clippers being a fairly boring team from a fantasy point of view. The Cavs aren't far away from it. They are extraordinarily boring. There's just no no real guys that you go, oh, this guy's going to jump forward or this guy's going to change. It's just all more of the same for this team, and that's, I feel like, what this podcast is going to be. LeBron was the ninth-ranked player this season. He was, uh, after the All-Star break, he was fifth in my head-to-head ranks. He played 74 games at 38 minutes a game, just an Astonishing amount of minutes for LeBron, 26, 8.7, 8.7, with 1.73s and 1.2 steals, 0.6 blocks, 55 and 67 from the line. And that 67 from the line was a real problem. And it's a real problem because he took over seven attempts per game there. So not only was he shooting below average, but he was doing it at such a large volume that you're in that dreaded punt category where he was at a negative 2.2 with his standard score in free throw percentage, which is, while not unrecoverable from, it's getting close to it. Now, anything over a minus two definitely puts you close to that punt territory. It's not a minus four or a minus five like DeAndre or Drummond or Dwight or any of those guys, but a minus two, that's like a, that's that Rudy Gobert sort of category for free throw percentage. And LeBron was, was poor and he got to the line a lot and that was an impact. And that is something you are going to have to take into consideration when you are drafting LeBron next season. Now, I've mentioned this on pretty much every show. He's in that group behind that top eight players, even though he was the fifth ranked guy heading into the end or in the second half of last season. It's just hard to find a way for me to put him ahead of Harden, Westbrook, Curry, Durant, Davis, Towns, Leonard, Adetokounmpo. Like those eight guys, I can't put LeBron ahead of any of them. But from nine to 15, LeBron, Chris Paul, John Wall, Nikola Jokic, Lillard, Paul George, all those guys in that group, that, that's at the next tier down. And you know, having LeBron ahead of those guys, a guy that's getting 26, nine and nine, it's real tough to go past that. Like that's not easy to go past. Getting nine assists out of a power forward as well, meaning you can get and play so many assists. You get some point guards in your other spots, and you can you can flood your lineup with assists because it's all well and good. You can flood your lineup with assists by drafting five point guards, but if you can't play them all together and you have to sit them out, then it doesn't help you as much. Whereas if you get three point guards and LeBron, you can put them all into an active lineup together and smash through with those assist numbers and really make that a difference. So that is a huge advantage that he can bring you with those sort of numbers. At some point, at some point, LeBron is going to drop off. I don't know when. I've got no idea. He is somehow better now than what he was a couple of years ago. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. The field goal percentage, which dipped in his first year back in Cleveland significantly, is back up almost to Miami levels. The problem here is the free throw percentage is the is the worry we need to look at. But everything else, like... 
Look at his numbers this year compared to last year. He scored an extra point per game, an extra 1.3 rebounds, and an extra two assists per game. Remember when people were saying in the offseason, oh, LeBron's won his championship now. He's going to take his foot off the gas. He's going to defer to Kyrie. He's going to get Kyrie an MVP. He's going to just take a back seat. Remember that? Remember that talk? Yeah, it was bullshit. It came out of nowhere, and that's something that I mentioned at the start of the year. Like, no one has ever heard LeBron say this. LeBron has never said this. This is just complete bullshit that someone has gone, oh, well, LeBron will probably take it easy now, and then people will just run with it. That's just the sort of stuff that you have to really keep an eye on, I guess, uh, when these things come out, because it didn't happen. He played more minutes. He put up bigger stats. It was just, it was an amazing season from LeBron James, and he is going to be that mid to back end first round guy again. At some point, he'll drop off, but I'm not banking on it at this point. Kyrie Irving was the 18th ranked player this season. 72 games, 35 minutes, 25 points, two and a half threes, three boards, 5.8 assists, and 1.2 steals for a super efficient 47 from the field and 91 from the line, and a true shooting of 58%. That is obviously fantastic stuff from Kyrie Irving. He was solid across the whole season. Um, you're much better than last year where he was the 49th ranked player, but we know the reasons behind that. Coming back from that knee injury, he played more minutes this year. He got his scoring up to a career high, hit more threes than he ever has before, and his assists were the highest number they were at before or since before LeBron joined the team. He was at 6.1 the year before LeBron came and then down to 5.2 and 4.7, but he showed that both him and LeBron were able to increase their assist numbers as they really did you know, monopolize the ball handling on this team. His steal numbers are still, they're not great, 1.2, but they're all right. But the big benefit you get from Kyrie is the super efficiency as a point guard, the scoring, the threes, and those assist numbers. They're nothing, look, they're, that's Damian Lillard type assist numbers. And you can talk about, you know, the, the story is always, oh, Kyrie had zero assists, Kyrie had one assist. He's not a point guard. But that's the that's the level of assist you're getting from Kemba Walker. That's the level of assist you're getting from um, from Damian Lillard. Like that's, that's the those level of assists. That's not that's not a bad number from Kyrie to get, you know, those five point eight assists to go with twenty five points at forty seven percent shooting. And he is going to be another top twenty player as we move forward. And his first year in Cleveland, he was a top ten guy. Even with his first year with LeBron there. He was a top 10 guy, so there's no reason he couldn't push towards the top 15. If he gets those steals from 1.2 to 1.5, then he moves from 18 to 14, maybe higher, maybe to 12. He goes from 5.8 to 6.2 assists, which is it's still a jump, but he could do it. Then he goes again up to you know, 12, 11, that sort of range. So there is a little bit of a scope for him to improve, but it was a fantastic season again from Kyrie Irving. Kevin Love. It was sort of a tale of two seasons for him. He had he started off extraordinarily well, and then suffered that knee injury, and that caused his uh, his rank to drop. He was twenty fifth before the All Star break and sixty fifth after the break because of that knee problem. But overall, for the season, just sixty games, thirty one minutes, nineteen and eleven with two and a half threes, two assists, point nine steals. Half a block, 43-87 for a true shooting of 57%. One thing we know is he's not going to give you traditional power forward stats. He's not blocking shots for you. He's not giving you a high field goal percentage. We know that. But he's giving you 19 and 11, so good rebounding, and those big numbers of threes and the huge free throw percentage, as well as getting to the line quite a bit as well. So Love still has his value. Where does he fall as we move forward? Well, I would be pretty confident in thinking he's going to be a top 50 guy. He was the 31st ranked player this year in only 31 minutes a game. Now, if he gets traded and he goes to a different situation, you know, similar to his Minnesota times, then shit, is he a top 10 guy again? Because you forget how good he was. He was like 25 and 12, 25 and 13 
Actually, I probably should just look up those numbers. His last season in Minnesota, 26 and 12 and a half with four and a half assists, two and a half threes. And he was the seventh ranked player. That's something that has occurred to him in Cleveland is the fact that his assist numbers have dropped way down. So that is something that you could really, really notice improving if he did go somewhere else, as well as the scoring, obviously, the usage rate, the field goal attempts, all that stuff could improve from Kevin Love if he went somewhere else. But he is a clear top 50 guy and probably a top 40 guy with the scope to have a, a massive, massive improvement when um, or if if he happens to to change teams. After those guys, it's just a bunch of crap, really. Kyle Korver played 67 games, 27, 26 minutes a game for the season, but his time in Cleveland was a little bit different to his time in Atlanta. Obviously, he didn't spend the whole season in Cleveland. He played 35 games in Cleveland at 24 and a half minutes. He averaged 10.7 points, three rebounds, one assist, 0.3 steals, 0.2 blocks, and hit 2.83s a game at 49%, which is obviously ridiculous, as is the 49% from the field. So he's helping you tremendously if you're counting three-point percentage, and his overall shooting numbers were really good. But aside from that, yeah, he, he gives you threes, and he enters that group of players, Troy Daniels, Wayne Ellington, of guys that you can stream off the waiver wire to get threes. He hit 2.8 triples in his time in Cleveland. He offered nothing else that was really going to be a big positive influencer. But hitting those threes, you're able to use him in that way. And that's really what you, th- what I think his role is going to be uh, on this team if he happens to re-sign or he might go to another team. And I don't see him pushing back to being that guy who was a top 70 guy in Atlanta at times. Now, he was a team worst minus 8.8 with the on-off numbers, which was a little surprising to me. I didn't mention it that uh, LeBron was a plus 17, which is huge. Irving, 7.2, and Kevin Love was a plus 9. But Korver... Um, you would think that the Cavs bring him back, and that's going to just mean that he is going to be that deeper 16-team league guy, maybe, a, maybe probably a 16-team league type of a player for Kyle Korver, um, and a stream three-point option. Now, after the All-Star break, which was entirely his time in Cleveland, he was uh, he was ranked 139th in my in my head-to-head rankings. Again, it, that doesn't make him a must-own 12-team league guy, though. Darren Williams, another player who who changed teams mid-season, had some pretty good times for him in Dallas. It wasn't quite the same in Cleveland where he played 24 games after getting bought out by Dallas. In those 24 games, he averaged 7.5 points. He averaged 2 rebounds, 3.6 assists with 0.3 steals and shot 46% from the field. So like Corver, he became a streaming option, but his streaming was for assists to get those 3.6 or in situations where Kyrie was if is out, then you could look at Darren to come in and provide you know, short-term relief to a fantasy team. But the age of 32, um, I would guess that he comes back to Cleveland. I don't think he's going anywhere and getting another starting job at this point in his career. He had that in Dallas, and he decided he didn't want it anymore. He wanted to go to Cleveland to be that backup, so I assume that that's the direction that he will be going again. And you can consider him a deeper league guy, a 16-team league sort of a player who has got that use for being a for being a streaming player, and that's gets gets really where where it is. He fell outside the top 200 in that post All Star stretch in his time in Cleveland. But those assist numbers, they can be useful in that in that short term um, when, when you need to add someone who's got an opportunity to get you four or five assists in a game. That's what Darren Williams can do. And I, I do assume that he will be back with this team as we move forward. Tristan Thompson, a player who finished the season just outside the top 150, played 78 games, 30 minutes a game, only eight points. But his real strength comes from the fact that he grabbed nine boards a game. 
But apart from that, he doesn't do a huge amount. Half a steal, 1.1 block, 60% from the field, and a putrid 49.8% from the free throw line for Tomo. He is not a must-own player. He was not a must-own player for most of the season. I took him in quite a few drafts towards the end, just going, you know what, this is my team, and shit, I need to solidify some field goal percentage. I need to get my rebounds solid, and I I picked him. But then after a while, he was doing. He wasn't even doing that in big enough numbers where I was where I was you know, compelled to keep him, and he moved on. And maybe if a love deal happens, maybe there's something for Thompson. But he's not going to be involved offensively. He's not going to be a big shot blocker. He is not going to take many shot attempts to bump up the value of that high field goal percentage. And he's going to be a poor free throw shooter. So none of those things you know, really scream out as being brilliant. He faded a bit down the stretch as well. 95th pre-All-Star, 138th post-All-Star, and he only fits certain teams. And he can be that piece that does help you and give you that little tweak to your field goal percentage, give you a little bump in rebounds. But while that that is true and that can be owned, it doesn't mean that if he's sitting on your waiver wire, you need to go, man, why is Tristan Thompson there? I need to grab him. That's not that's not that's my differentiation between can be owned and must be owned. Must be owned is like someone has to own this guy because he's going to contribute. Can be owned is it works for certain teams, but in certain situations, no point. And that's that's where Tristan Thompson ended up ended up falling this season. Channing Fry, 74 games. He played 19 minutes, 9 points, and add him to another list of players where you can just stream the shit out of them for threes. 1.9 threes per game in 19 minutes. You want threes, Channing Fry can give them to you. Four boards, half a steal, half a block, 46 and 85. 41% from three, true shooting, 61. Hyper-efficient, great for three-point percentage leagues. Yeah, fantastic numbers there for Channing. But overall, you know, there's there's... Not much more happening with him. Like, where does he go from here? How does he improve? The answer is he probably doesn't. And the answer is he probably goes the other direction and, and starts to regress. He has his defensive limitations. He was barely able to play during the finals due to those issues against the Warriors. Not that that's too concerning for the regular season. But he's 33 years of age already. He's not someone young who is going to stabilize. Like, he's more likely to decline and lose some of those athletic abilities that he has at the moment, which are limited in themselves. Still is an effective player in what he does. Still has fantasy value in that ability to get those threes. But he was the 168th ranked player. And I would imagine that tumbles a little bit next season. And maybe you see him just pushing that top 200 margin. Let's talk Eddie Tavares because he is an interesting guy who I do think will remain for this team. He played one game, 24 minutes, 6 points, 10 boards, and 6 blocks. 75% from the field, but that six blocks is the number that should get you really interested in looking at uh, in looking at Tavares. It's not going to happen for him on Cleveland. You're not going to see them rolling out a starting lineup of Eddie Tavares playing 30 minutes a game. That's not going to happen anywhere. But as a short-term block guy, if he finds himself in the rotation as a regular backup center, if they decide they need that rim protection... He could be John Henson-ish, meaning block two shots in 19 minutes, 17 minutes, and do very little else. He is as big as they come. He is a very good rebounder as well. So he could be a a help. More is going to be for 30-team dynasties, maybe 20-teamers, but let's just watch to see how they treat him or how they look at that non-guaranteed deal and what else they do. Do they think that maybe he can be a third-string center and push to a second-string center? Because those blocks can come in limited minutes. And he is a a guy that does have a high degree of fantasy friendliness because of his crazy rebounding and block ability. 
J.R. Smith. It was a putrid season for J.R. Smith for numerous reasons. The thumb injury, he had the issues with his uh, baby, which which obviously um, you know, left a strain, left a toll on him, and he was just bad for most of the season. He was the 206th ranked player this season in 29 minutes a game and averaged 8.6 points, but once again, he hit 2.33s a game. There you go. There's your threes that you can get from anywhere. 2.8 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 1 steal, 35 from the field and 67 from the line. The 35 from the field is obviously low. From the line, he's just not a good free throw shooter. He never really has been a great free throw shooter. It's actually an improvement on the 63% he shot last season. He has now shot, he shot over two threes per game for the last four consecutive seasons. So you know you're going to get that. But everything else from JR dropped significantly, including that overall efficiency as his true shooting dropped from 54 down to 48. Now, do I think it will bounce back? Absolutely, I will, because he won't have the thumb issue. He will have this, the issue with his child sorted out. Like that was born extremely premature and the health concerns are, while not 100% gone, I understand that they're, yeah, everything's looking much better for him in that regard. So he won't have that concern on him. But is he a guy that you draft at the end of a 12-team league? No. Like, what for? There's no upside there with him. Is he going to start to become this top 70-ranked guy? I can't see that at all. Will he he just be a guy that in deeper leagues you you own and you get those threes and you get not bad assist numbers sometimes, maybe two assists and a steal, and that's all right. But that's all right for 16-team leagues. That's all right for 18-team leagues. And it's all right to stream in 12-team leagues, as so many of these guys are on this team. And uh, Iman Shumpert's another one of those guys who, at the start of the year, you started off pretty pretty well. He was a 186th-ranked player before the All-Star break. After 317th, the wheels really fell off. Now, he started out the season shooting super hot, hitting threes, getting assists, and he went, all right, what's this? Iman Shumpert, point guard. Iman Shumpert, three-point shooter. I can live with this. This is going to help me. And then it just fell off completely. He ended up playing um, 26 minutes a game, seven and a half points, 1.2 threes, three rebounds, one and a half assists, 0.8 steals, half a block, 41 and 79, and... This is just who Iman Trumpet is. Uh, nothing. I don't look at this and go, "Oh yeah, he's going to have a big increase next season. He's going to he's going to change his level of play." I don't see huge amounts changing for Iman Trumpet. He's a, a guy for for deeper leagues who you can stream in if you need steals occasionally. But honestly, he just is not a very good fantasy player. Even if he was forced forced into a thirty-one minute a night role, he would not be a standard league must own guy, in my opinion. Now, Kevin is watching live, and he says, "Do you think Jr.'s defense still warrants him the starting guard position for the Cavs?" Yes, he is a very good defender, and that does get lost. Who else would you start? He's better than Shumpert. Shumpert's probably a better defender, but Smith is not that worse, much worse of a defender than what Shumpert is. Smith is not the guy that you think is a is a bad defender. So yes, I think they still have to start him. I still think he's good, but his fantasy value is just not going to rebound. Dick Jefferson, seventy nine games, twenty minutes a game. Pretty amazing that he actually came back and played and was such a huge part of this team. Five point seven points, point eight. Threes, two and a half rebounds, forty-five and seventy-four. Not much else. He was able to stay on the court with the Warriors. They will, they will likely, you know, keep him around for next season. He is going to have impact in zero fantasy leagues, pretty much. The times when LeBron rests, you can get decent numbers, especially for DFS, out of Richard Jefferson in those situations. But he just is what he is. This team is just so centered around Love, Irving, and James that everyone else just falls to the wayside and doesn't provide much value at all. And Jefferson 
is one of those guys who uh, who falls to the wayside. Derek Williams. Oh, Derek Williams. At the start of the season, in the offseason, all right, there's this opportunity in Miami. It's going to be Williams. Yep, yep, yep. And then Spolster just said, no, like you're just not playing. We don't want anything to do with you. You're not playing at all. And that was weird. And then he was released and brought over by the Cavs, and some people got super excited by it. I don't really know why, but they were like, oh, Derek Williams, man, let's go. He's going to be he's going to be a top 150 guy. Like, no, again, no. He he struggled. He has struggled. Apart from his year in New York where he was all right, he struggled pretty much everywhere he's gone. He had a few decent performances in Cleveland, and maybe he's the one player out of these group of guys who does have a modicum of upside left depending on whether he comes back to Cleveland or whether he goes to another team or if Dick Jefferson retires, which I don't think will happen. Um, then then you could see something from Williams. But to me, he's had the opportunities. He's had the chances to to become a, a regular rotation player, a starter, a fantasy useful player, and he's never been able to take advantage of that. So at best, he's probably going to be a 20-team league guy as we move forward. And I think any hopes you have of him pushing forward in the future, I think you should, uh, you should pretty much dash those. Kay Felder, the rookie, 42 games, 9 minutes, 4 points, 1 rebound, 1.5 assists with 0.4 steals, 39 and 71 and 32% from 3. Well, you know, we didn't get to see huge amounts of Kay. You know, obviously, Kyrie is the point guard there. We had him on Shumpert running point at backup point at times, and then they brought Darren Williams in, so he barely played. I think there are some promising signs for Felder. He's not going to be a starting point guard on this team at any point soon, but he's a, he's a 30-team league asset. He's got the ability to score and do it with a decent amount of efficiency, I believe. It didn't really show this year, but I think he can do it. And I think he can get some okay assist numbers and okay steal numbers. And he could be a player who, in four years' time, you know, cracks the, the rotation of 16-team fantasy leagues. It would require a few changes of situation, but lots of things change in in two years, in one year, yeah, in three years. Lots of stuff can change. He is the one guy who's got that arrow that is pointing up on this team, although when it does point up, finally, it probably won't be as a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. The last two guys on this team, I told you there's not much to talk about this team. James Jones, what's the point? And Dante Jones played one game. Uh, you know, neither of these guys will probably back be back on this team next season. James Jones barely plays. He played eight minutes a game. He's a, a three-point specialist in those random games where everyone sits and maybe he starts and he can hit five threes as a random, hey, let's hope this happens type of a guy. But we all know who James Jones is. And, and Dante Jones, he's nobody. He's nothing. He's not an NBA player. And you should not have any consideration about him in fantasy whatsoever. That's it. There's not much to talk about with the Cavs. There is a couple of questions here. And Jordan says, I brought Le- bought LeBron at a discount last season, but his free throw percentage ended up killing me in the league. Would you consider punting free throws if you draft LeBron? I reckon you do have to seriously consider it. Or even if you don't punt it, you have to build around it. And that can be tough, especially when those big free throw influences Harden, Westbrook, Durant, they're all picked ahead of LeBron in the same round. You've got to try and pair him with a guy like a DeRozan or or maybe um, maybe a Devin Booker or someone like that. DeRozan's the one that you really want. And that can be tough. So if I had LeBron, that would be the direction I would be leaning. Now, as you all know, when you say punt a category, you aren't deliberately trying to get bad at it. So punting a category like free throws doesn't mean that you then have to draft Andre Drummond. It doesn't mean that you then have have to draft DeAndre Jordan. It does. It doesn't mean that at all. That's that's not what punting is. It's not like, hey, look at this. I got the worst free throw percentage. Yes, 
That's not how it goes. It just means you don't care about that category. So someone whose value is entirely built on their free throw percentage, or that's their only positive category, then they just have no value to you. You don't care if you end up first in that category or fifth in that category or 12th in that category. And it enables you to focus your resources on building up the other eight categories, the other seven categories. And I think that's the way that you need to be looking at it with LeBron, because otherwise you have to put so much attention into getting your free throws, not only back to being even, but to being good, that you can you can um, neglect the other areas and it costs you in that spot. So, yes, Jordan, I do think with LeBron, you have to start putting him into that zone. He's like that Rudy Gobert type of guy where you do have to consider you know, punting free throws with him. Kyle says, next year does Cleveland play LeBron less and give Kyrie more lead playmaker time? This, this is the thing that comes, I just talked about it before. It's the thing that happens every year. No, LeBron's just not going to do it. You, LeBron just he's just not going to do it it's just not going to happen until we hear LeBron come out and say I am going to play less then it's just not going to happen and Kyle says if Love gets traded is it safe to assume his value will likely increase yes that is safe to to uh, to to assume he says maybe significantly yes I agree I think that while he probably won't go back to being a top 10 guy he should be a top 20 guy dependent on the situation but in most situations I would expect a huge huge jump back from Kevin Love in his scoring and his assist rate which would bump him to be that top 20 player all right that's it again real short one tomorrow's one yeah, tomorrow I'll release the podcast tomorrow. It'll be the Boston Celtics. I don't know if I'm recording recording it today or tomorrow. It will be the Boston Celtics. So there's a ton of intrigue with that team. So make sure you're staying tuned. And we even may have confirmation of a trade that sees Markel Fultz going to the Philadelphia 76ers and Boston getting back whatever they're going to get back. Pick three, the Lakers pick, the the um, Kings pick, the Sixers pick next year. Who knows what they're going to get back? But apparently this trade is not including any players. And then I would imagine with those picks that Boston is moving them on to get Jimmy Butler. But we will we will soon see. I will discuss more of that tomorrow if we have more information on it. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. LeBron James.